This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and I am back today once again with Stephen Glaspie. Stephen, how are you doing this fine evening? Nick, I'm awesome. We're recording Deep Dives together, so I mean, I can't think of a better way to spend spend an evening than hanging out with you talking basketball. How are you doing? That is way too high a bar to clear, but I'll take it anyway. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem, my man. I'm doing pretty well. It's uh, you know, It's an exciting time of year. I was... Lucky enough to be at the Kings' big win last night. See the franchise record for three pointers in person. Yeah. So that was a good time. Well, ha- happy belated birthday too. I want to put that out there for everybody to to know that you recently celebrated a birthday. You are now all you're entering a new decade of existence on the earth, and uh, it's probably the most exciting one. So I'm I'm happy to to know you and to kind of bring in this uh, brand new adventure for you and your and your um I, I guess like the physical elements that are going to be coming uh, now that you are an old man. Thank you. Thank you, Steven. I think 103 <laughs> looks good on me personally, but yeah, I mean, I I'll, I'll hope I look like you when I grow up, you know, so. <laughs> uh, I genuinely don't know how to transition from that, but I'm going to try anyway. <laughs> we'll just say transition. That's yes. Uh, speaking of transition, someone who plays a lot in transition. <laughs> hey, that's the worst one I've ever done. Not even close. Uh, anyway, today's <laughs> feature topic, we're completely off the rails and we're a minute and a half in, but today's feature topic is your article from Tuesday on Michael Ajayi. And he's someone who's fascinating for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, the biggest one, obviously, is just how he's burst onto the Division One scene. And yep. You know, it's been the kind of thing where the title of the article is Basketball is a Marathon, and that's, you know, the title for a reason. But I am curious because, you know, he is someone who is very new, obviously, on the D1 scene. What was it that made you decide to write about Michael Ajayi for this article? Well, first off, it was just, you you know how, you know, a lot of us at No Ceilings are like Maxwell and I, like we get the title sicko slapped to <laughs> slapped to us because of, you know, we, we do a lot of work, but so does everybody else uh, in No Ceilings too. It's not like we're the only ones that are um, looking at prospects that not everybody knows about. And, uh, you know, Metcalf was one of the guys that dropped Michael Ajayi's name in, in the group chat. And Ajayi was a guy that I was monitoring, you know, mainly just for statistics, statistics. I wasn't doing a lot of, Pepperdine basketball watching in the early part of the year. But as we all do, I'm sure, you know, there's some some names that kind of capture our eyes a little bit. And the more a name pops up, the more it's like, huh, okay, I have a watch list that I have right here, but maybe I need to kind of adjust this and prioritize some people over others. And Ajayi was one of these guys that just like very quickly leapt to the top of my 
watch list. And, you know, I, I did a lot of statistical queries and analysis on him before I even watched the film. And I was like, this guy looks like he could be someone intriguing. And then I, you know, looked up that I tried to look up the history about him and there just isn't much on him. Like you can find where he went to high school. You can find like one year that he spent at the university that he was at before Pepperdine. But that's essentially it. Like you won't find any basketball outlets uh, that do like high school rankings or anything like that. You won't find his name there. You won't find any like, you know, mixtapes on him from when he was a senior in high school or anything like that. And I'm just like, who is this guy that is at the time that I was looking at him? He was a top 10 scorer and rebounder in all of Division One basketball and has since slipped to only top 15, right? Like he's still being very uh, dominant amongst all players in Division One basketball. And I was just like, this player, Michael Ajayi, he's so talented. He's so good. He's clearing all these statistical bars. How come no one has anything on this guy? And so naturally, I reached out to Albert, who is kind of like the the interview uh, wizard on No Ceilings, and was able to land the interview. And as I'm preparing for this interview, I tried to do my due diligence and find information on him even more because I like to be prepared. And there's just nothing on him. So it was just one of these instances where a name pops up on my statistical queries. I, I look up his school information and he has the frame that is like, OK, this this could be going somewhere. And there's also just the mystique that surrounds him because there is just nothing on him. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you talk about it in the intro of the piece, but and, you know, we'll talk about this in a bit more depth in a moment. But, you know, there are a lot of guys who are, you know, sort of unheralded recruits who, you know, come out of relative anonymity to become top tier prospects. And, you know, the name that you mentioned at the top is Brandon Pajemski, who you, you know, spoke to last year, wrote about last year. And he went from, you know, quote unquote, out of nowhere to being the 19th overall pick. But yep. as you say in the piece, he was a top 100 recruit, right? It's not like you know, he was someone who came out of absolutely nowhere. It's, you know, someone who came in, you know, didn't quite get the role that he w was up to at Illinois and, you know, transferred, did a lot better at Santa Clara, made a name for himself. But, you know, he was someone who was considered one of the best recruits in his class. It just took a year and a transfer to figure out the right situation for him. I mean, yep. with Ajayi, it's like he, he just wasn't there at all. I mean, yeah. you, know, you can think of guys like, if I'm remembering correctly, John Morant was like not a, don't think he even got above like a three-star recruit before he ended up going to Murray State and then, you know, quickly grew his game there. But I mean, it's the kind of thing where for the vast majority of these prospects, even if they're not, you know, the top guys in their class or whatever, it's like, you know, there were at least some scouting services that were like, oh, you know, this guy is, you know, lower level tier prospect, you know, maybe like a lower level D1 team guy, but there's info on him right there's videos there's there's something but you know the complete lack of any sort of information is is fascinating because it's the kind of thing where oh everybody missed on this guy yeah and sometimes you know we're we're writers and you know we're we're uh you know kind of entertainers so to speak like we we do a lot of like really deep work into what we do when we analyze these players but we're also in, in media so there's a there's a natural tendency, kind of like an an understood aspect of what we do, Nick, to where there's a little bit of hyperbole that we use, right? Like when we're trying to get people's attention on a player, we'll say things like like nobody knows who this guy is, or this guy's just out the mud, or you know, this guy's coming out of nowhere. And we use that a little bit, you know, to to kind of capture people's attention. But like you mentioned. Brandon Pajemski was getting compared to like Tyler Hero. You know, he's Tyler Hero 2.0. There's mixtapes on him. There's like high school interviews on him. There's, you know, interviews on him being signed to Illinois. Uh, you know, when he transfers out, there's a grade on him as a transfer coming from Illinois to Santa Clara. You know, John Morant is a three-star guy. Doesn't mean that he wasn't recruited. It just means that he wasn't graded as higher as other people, but his name was still in circulation. Nick, when I tell you that there is like next to nothing on this guy, there is literally next to nothing on him. You know, uh, I I feel weird saying this, but but it, it's the honest truth. Like when I interviewed him, 
you know, Michael told me like, this is my first time doing anything like this. And that was just like, I, you know, I'll, I'll be transparent. I I wear that with pride. Like that's really cool. You know, that someone who's as, as talented and is doing as great as he is. The fact that I was his first interview, like that's pretty cool, but it's also just wild in the sense that there is a guy who has consistently been missed on for lack of a better sense. I know that you're the editor. You might, clip that out or whatever because i didn't i don't i don't talk good right arkansas education here Uh, but like literally every step of the way up until this point nick michael ajayi has been missed on and there's reasons why i'm sure we're going to dive into it here soon but literally every step of the way just when like when i'm writing this piece and i'm listening to the interview and i'm listening to michael talk there it feels like there's this okay, then everything just kind of clicked from here. It's like, okay, he, he clears one bar and then it's like, nope, starting all over from ground one. Like you're, you're pretty much going to have to prove yourself all over again from, from each step that he's been on already. And he's, he's still only in D one. Like if, if his, if he doesn't play another game of basketball, like in, in a very literal sense, Nick, Michael Ajayi's story is still really incredible. You know what I mean? But like the, like, like, the name like we say in the article but the marathon continues right like he's he's on to the next thing but just the fact that he is playing d1 basketball for pepperdine right now is just it's a success story in of itself but there's still a lot of story left unwritten yeah i mean even just in the piece like the fact that he was cut from the team his junior year right this is you know yeah. like michael jordan has dined out on the story of oh i was cut from the varsity team you know for decades and decades was like freshman year michael jordan was not allowed on the varsity team when like if i'm remembering correctly basically his school was like we don't have freshmen on the varsity team it's like yeah and that's you know the kind of thing where okay you know michael jordan being michael jordan it's like okay that's you know a chip on his shoulder and just a deep-seated level of spite that he carried with him for the entirety of his professional career it worked out pretty well for him but yeah i mean i think he played for a really small university called uh university in north carolina like the tar hill oh yeah yeah very, yeah very small tiny university uh, i don't know how he got on nba radars at all playing for the tar hills yeah yeah they're 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 in the la brea tar pits right that's where the tar heels are <laughs> <laughs> i think they're pretty close i think uh the tar hills were an old old wooden ship in the civil war (laughs) the civil war era submarine that's where michael jordan played his college basketball yes yes but in all seriousness you know with ajayi you know you get to the part about his junior year him not making the team senior year he does make the team and even still gets to the end of the year and he had one junior college offer from pierce college in washington and this sort of leads into something yeah. that I, you know, wanted to talk about that you touch on in the article, but I did want to go into more depth of it's been fascinating over the last few years. And I think part of this is just that I didn't cover the draft as closely five years ago as I do now, but it's the kind of thing where sure. there are so many NBA players who have come from, you know, these sort of more non-traditional kind of basketball backgrounds in a way. And yet, you know, as you say in the piece, as I'll get into in just a moment here, it's not that new of a thing for guys to go to junior colleges and, you know, turn themselves into much better players. But it's the kind of thing where, you know, again, it's like over the last few years, there's just been such a sort of shift in the idea of where you need to go to, you know, to get yourself on the scene, to develop yourself as a basketball player. And, you know, we talked about this recently with Trent Flowers, right? Of, you know, his deal was, okay, I think the NBL is the best situation for me to try and get the minutes I need, try and get the development I need. But, you know, I think it's also part of it is just how over the last few years, it's become more and more normal for even the top picks in their class to go down to the G League, get seasoning time, that sort of thing. But with all of that in mind, it's still, you know, the G League is one thing, but even just going from junior college to division one, right. Much less being successful in making that jump. It's a pretty big leap, but the flip side is, I mean, just reading off the list of NBA players who, you know, were Juco guys, and this is nowhere near a complete list. Right. But I mean, names like Dennis Rodman, Sean Marion, Larry Johnson, John Starks, Ben Wallace, Nick Van Exel, Steve Francis, 
Sam Cassell, Bob McAdoo, Mitch Richmond. I mean, there are three Hall of Fame players in that list that I just read off, right? And, yep. you know, even talking about current players like Jimmy Butler, almost certainly going to be a Hall of Famer when he hangs him up, right? You know, Jay Crowder, who is someone who I've talked about time and time again of how looking at how he played his last year at Marquette really changed the way that I evaluated draft prospects. And Rashawn Holmes, of course, you know, former Sacramento Kings legend Rashawn Holmes. There are a lot of players who, and, you know, even going to someone who you and I talked about a lot last year in Des Moines Hodge, it's the kind of thing where, you know, if you can play and you prove that you can play, right, you may well get that chance. And it's the kind of thing with Ajayi where he had to even get to a position where he was given that chance to prove that he could play. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into Michael's story, even just getting to Pierce College, you know, you he's was cut from varsity team twice, you know, it took him growing to six foot five and averaging almost a double double for him to get one Juco offer. And it was a local Juco school. Um, and, and Michael's thanks a lot of the people that, that he worked with while he was at Juco. You look at the stats, man, like he's got very efficient, putting up crazy numbers. I asked Michael a question about, you know, what do you have to say about the way that Juco has kind of prepared you for where you are? And he's just like, man, Juco is just a place where you're going to get reps, you know, like, the, the people there are talented. You scout them the exact same way as you scout D1 players. You know, you find their tendencies, you find their strengths and their weaknesses. You scout how the team works together and and you develop your game plan from there. But they're just not as fast. And, you know, they're you know, they might not have all the same physical traits that D1 players are going to have, obviously. But you're still going up against guys who are putting up 20 points a game against people who were also still very talented in high school, I think sometimes like we have this preconceived notion as like a basketball community that if you're a Juco star, that means that you were maybe like the fourth or fifth best person in your high school team. No, there are still very talented basketball players that go through Juco and you list off a bunch of names. There's guys in the G League right now, like Keon Ellis, who I liked a lot. I put a first round grade on him while he was at Alabama. He's another Juco success story, in my opinion, you know, so you got. You have all sorts of players that are coming through these JUCO ranks and putting up tremendous numbers. And Nick, one thing I want to touch on is that how I mentioned that there are different stages, like every stage that Michael Ajayi has gone up, he's kind of had to like reprove himself. Despite the fact that he was like a late growth spurt guy during COVID, less eyes on him, only like a a very local or JUCO school picked him up. Whenever he was looking to make the leap into D1, colleges like the top 100 juco ranking list which is a great tool for anybody looking to evaluate players that are going on to you know division one teams he didn't even make the top 100 of the juco ranking list nick so it is truly uh that's why i'm saying like his story already is a success story in my opinion and there's just more chapters uh in the works now but it's just fascinating to listen to people like Michael talk about how talented Juco is. And Nick, he, he makes the leap from the Juco ranks into D1 basketball in his, what, first like 11 games or something like that that he's played. His stats are almost identical to the crazy numbers that he was putting up at the Juco level. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. 
The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I think you bring up a really great point with the Juco stuff, and I want to stick with it for a moment. I think people underestimate just how large the initial funnel is that gets funneled down to who becomes a professional basketball player. Just purely, not even in terms of the NBA, just a professional basketball player, period, right? I mean, especially given how global the game of basketball has become, there are tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of young people who grow up playing the sport. And, you know, from there, it's funneled down to, okay, you know, who's good enough to make the middle school A team and who ends up on the B Mm -hmm. team and just, you know, runs around and plays with their friends, right? Who is the top of the, you know, I mean, we talk about, you know, younger prospects and how difficult it is to evaluate all the time. But, uh, you know, all the discussion going around draft Twitter about Mohamed Dabon, who's a 12 year old, right? It's like the funnel starts there, you know, and it's, you know, it's difficult to evaluate prospects in high school, much less evaluate prospects in middle school. But the idea being like, you know, people can recognize that Mohamed Dabon is extremely out of the ordinary for a player of that age. But even then it's like, okay, you know, hundreds of millions of kids who play, maybe, you know, tens of millions of kids who make some middle school or depending on where they are in the world, you know, that sort of age equivalent of their Mm -hmm. team. And, you know, it gets funneled down a little bit more in high school, right? There are some guys who never make the varsity team, right? And there are, you know, guys like Ajayi who, you know, comes close to not making it, but ends up doing it. And, you know, that's even just basically, you know, and I talk about this very frequently on here of, pretty much everybody who's in the NBA was the best player on their high school team, right? And it's the kind of thing where by the time you narrow the list down, even to the players who are starting on JUCO teams, you have got an incredibly elite group of basketball players. Like this is, you know, you were saying like, you know, people think, oh, JUCO is like the fourth or fifth best guy in the high school team. No, JUCO is like the best guy on most high school teams. And, you know, maybe the second, third, fourth best guy on, you know, maybe not a Montverde because Montverde is like the entire starting lineup is like top 20 recruits, right? But like, yep. you know, outside of the Montverdes and the prolific preps of the world, right? It's like, if you're the best guy on your high school team, you might not even be good enough to make it to a Juco team, right? And people, it's interesting just how the funnel goes from incredibly wide to incredibly small once you make it to professional ranks period right not just the nba but EuroLeague, you know nbl but also the flip side of the fact that he's not even in the top 100 rankings right it's like even still and this is part of the whole fun and fascination of evaluating the draft is people get it wrong all the time right and so what you have to do is you have to you know do your best to sort of filter out the noise filter out the outside information but Ultimately, with Ajayi, right, it's like, as you're seeing this season, clearly he had the talent to be, you know, a top 15, again, scorer, you know, top five, I think, rebounder in, in NCAA, right? It's, the, as you said, it's basically the same as his stats at Pierce College, but there's every chance in the world that he wouldn't have gotten that opportunity in the first place. And I do have to mention, before we move on to the next section here, that Michael Ajayi himself said that he probably wouldn't have ended up at Pepperdine without my favorite player of all time, Isaiah Thomas, referring him to Lorenzo Ramar, right? And it's like, Isaiah Thomas is, you know, one of the most classic examples possible of massively overexceeded expectations, right? Going from the 60th pick to an all-NBA guy. It's like, Michael Ajayi would, you know, I don't know where he would be playing this year without Isaiah Thomas, but it wouldn't be at Pepperdine and we wouldn't be seeing this from him. And it's, fascinating just how one tiny little moment completely altered the career path that he's been on and yet it's also the end result of the marathon that he's been running since you know before he was even in high school yeah i mean the fact that the fact that isaiah thomas who's out of the state of washington everyone knows that like has a connection with coach romar if you're not familiar it doesn't take very long to 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 come to that conclusion that there's just a mutual acquaintance here right like there's a mutual person that the the head coach for pepperdine knows and who michael knew and if you just just go look on twitter or x or whatever you want to call it go look at how many people yeah sure we only call it twitter on this podcast 
Only Twitter. All right. Formerly known as X, but Twitter. There we go. Um, Perfect. There we go. Look up how many people are following Michael Ajayi right now. Isaiah Thomas is one of them, right? So, like, the fact that only a couple hundred people even follow Michael Ajayi right now, Isaiah Thomas is one of them. And it only takes one person that you that you need to know, right? And it's not, and, and I don't want to skew this in a very negative way at all, because sometimes we look at stuff like that and we just say, oh, okay, like, his guy got him a team. Like, no, Michael has proven himself but we all just need a lucky break every once in a while nick like even me being on no ceilings it was because you know i i was at a different place i knew mutual people i interviewed a couple of the guys at no ceilings um those couple of guys uh i'd like to think kind of vouched for me and i got to know you guys over time a little bit and then was invited onto the team right it's not that I didn't have the desire to want to be good at what I do or that I didn't have the desire to, you know, scout or anything like that or want to attend, uh, you know, pro days and, you know, do post game interviews or anything like that. It just ultimately came down to a connection. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it is who, you know, just so long as you have the talent at whatever crap that you have that you're doing is also there, right? Because you can get a foot in the door, but how are you going to come in and, and, you know, get to know the people that are on the other side of that door? You have to have, you have to have the the person that can get you to the building, right? But at the end of the day, you're walking through that door and it's up to you whether or not you're staying, right? And that's what Michael has already proven in his very, very young time in D1 basketball. We'll talk about all the great things that he's doing on the court, but it's just an amazing story that so many people have missed on this guy. And had it not been for him knowing Isaiah Thomas, like the nation would be out a top scorer and rebounder in, in the country right now. It's just, it's an incredible story. There's no other yeah. way to describe it. No, a hundred percent. It's like he, you know, you can say, Oh, his, you know, his boy got him a job. Right. Because like he, <laughs> you know, it's not like he's failing. Right. It's not like, Oh, you know, Isaiah vouched for this guy and uh, you know, he gets there and, you know, Lorenzo Romar sees him in practice for two days and is like, all right, he's just not going to cut it. Like, I guess I did Isaiah Thomas a favor, right? It's not doing Isaiah Thomas a favor to get the best player on your team through the Juco route, right? And, you know, similar to your he story. He coach right? Romar a favor, right? Yeah, like, That's there you really go. who he did a favor, yeah. Exactly. But, yeah, I mean, you know, similar to your story, if I hadn't worked with Tyler Metcalf and he hadn't, you know, sent me an invitation to, you know, maybe join up with No Ceilings out of the blue, I wouldn't be on this podcast talking to you either right it's the kind of thing where sometimes you just need to even know that the door is there right like you know if you were michael ajayi and you didn't know isaiah thomas you know maybe maybe some you know other division one team you know digs into the stats like you did right like finds him you know down there doing good stuff at pierce college and says oh sure we'll take a a chance on this guy as a transfer right but Ultimately, because he knew that that door was open, he had the opportunity to, you know, go to Pepperdine and show what he's been showing this season, which I think is a good opportunity to get into what he has been showing this season. And, you know, it's early run. But as you said, the numbers are virtually identical to what he put up at Pierce College. And those numbers are very impressive numbers. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's who was a 20 point per game score in Pierce college. He's pretty close to that right now for a, a two handfuls of games at, at a division one school in a very good conference, right? Like he is scoring with relative ease. He's got the size, the frame, you know, at about six foot seven, six foot eight, uh, very well put together, broad shoulders, long arms, strong, lower body. I mean, good height, good feel for the game. There's just not a lot about the game of basketball that Michael Ajayi isn't very good at already in his very young time for, for Pepperdine this year. And I mean, a lot of the skills that he was, that, that he's doing well now were instilled at him at, at Pierce college. I mean, we're talking about a guy with one year of varsity high school basketball experience, two years at a Juco level coaching experience. I mean, think about the learning curve that you have to have right now, Nick, to have one, one varsity year under your belt in a COVID year, right? Two JUCO years to where you are going up against supremely talented competition and then making that jump to D1 basketball 
to where you are a top anything at anything, right? Let alone scoring and rebounding for a perimeter based player. I mean, you, this is a very gifted player with a high aptitude that is just takes coaching and directly applies it to his game almost instantly. It's like you tell this guy, Hey, this is the way that things are supposed to work. The next possession, he is making it work. Like, it's just, it's wild to me, man. It's just, it's wild. And the other thing too is, you know, he's going to a division one team, right? But it's not even just that he's filling the shoes of Max Lewis who's currently in the NBA, right? It's like, Correct. it's not just that he, you know, goes from a Juco to a division one program and, you know, shows up is on the scene and is much more impressive than people expected. No, he's filling a role for a Pepperdine team that was led last year by a guy who is now in the NBA and, you know, they're not exactly lighting the world on fire, but they're on track to finish with a better record than they had last year, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of it I'm... is just that somehow, some way, you know, <laughs> Michael Ajayi comes in from Juco and is the second leading scorer and essentially just fills the shoes of the guy who was the main guy who, again, now, you know, was a second round pick and is playing his craft in the NBA. It's pretty big shoes to fill for anybody jumping up from Juco, but... For Ajayi in particular, the role he's filling is not exactly a small set of shoes. No, and I mean, if you look at his offensive skill set, and we can kind of transition to the to the film dive now, where he he is shooting the ball well. It's just that even he admits this, that it takes him a little bit to get into his shot. It's a set shot. But when he has time to get it off, I mean, it's going in at a very high clip right now. I mean, he's close to 50% three-point shooter, you know, and he's... He's leading, the, like like you mentioned, he's one of the, the leading shot takers on this team, shooting 50%. And he will he wants to hit open shots, but he's also very familiar with his game, very comfortable with the things that he's good at. That once he gets to his mid-range game, Nick, it's, it's lights out. I mean, this guy can can make you pay from deep if you're recovering against him uh, and, and you're not set whenever you're meeting him on a closeout. This guy's taking a couple dribbles and rising up from mid-range and just making you pay. And he's strong enough to finish around the cup. So we're talking about a three-level scorer right now who is putting up like close to 50-50-70 on his shooting splits right now on good volume from every single one of those areas of the floor. Yeah, and you know, that's the kind of thing where, you know, it's something that I talked about quite a bit on here. But the idea of just multiple different paths to making it into a lineup, establishing yourself as an NBA rotation player, right? And for Jai, I mean, you know, again, all of the conversation about his offensive game, and we've only barely even touched on the fact that at 6'7", he's like in the top five in the NCAA in rebounding, right? You know, Correct. he's someone who you fill him, at, you, you know, you plug him in, and, you know, you mentioned in the piece, you know, maybe he won't get that many opportunities in isolation, but he's cooking guys when he does get in isolation, you know, maybe he's, you know, not going to end the season shooting 50% from deep, right? That's a bit of a high bar, but sure. You know, even if he's just, you know, a very solid three point shooter, when you sort of factor in the rest of his game, it's like, okay, so this is a guy with size, exceptional rebounder, you know, solid enough passer who will be able to, you know, essentially fill whatever, whatever role you need him to on the offensive end, right? You have him as okay, he's spaced out on the perimeter. He's not someone where if you push him off the line, there's not much he can do, right? You mentioned, you know, he can get into his mid-range game. He can attack from there. He can go all the way to the basket. You know, the whole idea of being a three-level scorer is it just makes it that much harder for a defense to figure out what they're going to do with you. And, you know, it's exceptionally important for your primary guy to be able to do that or approximate that, obviously. But, you know, for a secondary guy to be someone who a team can say, I am confident that when the ball swings his way, he's going to do something good with it. That's really, you know, that's pretty much the gold standard for someone who you're going to have as a role player. And, you know, I say that, you know, role player as a potential NBA projection, but with Ajayi, he's someone who's just continued to massively exceed expectations at every level. It's almost difficult to even put a cap on him as, as a bench guy, even though, you know, again, there's a whole lot of hurdles that he still need to clear to be a starter at the NBA level. Yeah, you're 100% right, man. I mean, and we've talked about this on several episodes here on Deep Dives that the best role players were were star players at some level, right? And that's what Michael is continuing to prove is like he ha- we haven't even got to the point to where he has to be a role player yet. And 
that's very promising for his for his basketball future is that at some level, at some professional level, Michael may have to transition to being a role player. But because he has such success at being a, a phenomenal scorer, like you trust when the ball touches his hands that it, eventually it's going to turn into points, right? Whether it's for himself, and we can talk about this in a little bit, or for others, because he is just kind of quietly a, a very steady passer as well, right? So you're talking about a prolific scorer, a prolific rebounder, very chiseled guy, very strong guy with good feel for the game and a high aptitude for learning and putting coaching into practice. I mean, this guy is, he, like you said, you, you don't want to put a ceiling to his game, but you also kind of almost want to anticipate that eventually there is going to be some sort of limitation to his game. We just haven't seen it yet, which is very promising for uh, for eventually if that does happen, that you trust him to make good decisions when it's scaled down a little bit. I mean, I'm not sure we can say that there's a ceiling. We are no ceilings. Here, no ceilings. You know? Leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme. <laughs> yeah. No, but on a, on a more serious note, I do want to get into the passing in a minute, but there is one thing that you mentioned that I do just want to sort of reemphasize as we move into the passing, mm-hmm. which is something that we've also talked about quite a bit on this deep dives feed of there are a lot of guys who just, you know, they go up in level and if they, you know, can't be the star offensive player, they can't figure it out. And the easiest example for me to use for this by far is Jimmer Fredette, who was, you know, wild scorer at BYU gets to the NBA. And if he was really locked in on just being a spot up shooter who worked mostly on his defense, then he probably would have been, you know, a multi-year NBA role player, but he was someone who just the ball had to be in his hands for him to feel like, you know, he was being a successful basketball player. And ultimately what that led to was he found the level where he could be a 30 point a game scorer, you know, in China. And so that's where he is now being the 30 point a game scorer. He's always been at the level that he could do that successfully for someone like Ajayi who, you know, granted in college, we've seen him be like primary offensive engine type. It's not like he's someone who, you know, has always been the star and, you know, won't be able to adjust to not being the star anymore. Right. He's someone who's been, you know, his entire thing is that he's been on this marathon that he's been unheralded for so long and proven it again and again and again and again. Right. It's the kind of thing where I would be stunned if he's someone who can't adjust to not having the ball in his hands all the time, because that would go counter to everything that we've seen from him his entire basketball playing life. Yeah. And I mean, the, the scout on him looks like it's starting to kind of come together a little bit. There's things that he's uncomfortable with that he is now having to do something that he hasn't had to do uh, in his playing career. And that's develop these sort of counters. Now I'm very confident that Michael can, can learn these things because of how coachable he is. And like you said, like there's a humility that comes with the fact that he's kind of coming from nothing in terms of like, a, a basketball background, you know, like everything that he's going through, like every day playing basketball is like the best day of his life is what it feels like. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, he's, he's happy to be here now. He's hungry and he wants more. And he, and he does have like this desire to want to be great at what he does. Like he's not, he's not satisfied with where he is, but he is, you know, also at the same time, he's very, uh, he, he has joined the game. Right. And eventually like, you see, you see guys that run out of the joy to where it becomes a job and things like that. Not everybody makes that transition, but for Michael, I have a hard time picturing that. Knowing what I know about, you know, his his background, uh, knowing what about him that I've gotten to know over the little time that I got to speak to him, like you just know that this guy is hungry for more. You know that he's going to take every opportunity that's given to him, and he's going to make the most out of it. You know, and that's the type of guy that you want to go to war with. And that's ultimately what, what a basketball game is like that, that might be kind of hyperbolic, but like you are testing everything about you physically and mentally, right. Against somebody else. And when you have a guy like Michael on your team, you feel a little bit better about no matter who you're going up against that you have a good shot because you got, you got a Jai on your team. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So speaking of playing with somebody else, that was a lot less greasy of a transition than my transition to start the episode. But let's talk about his playmaking here. And with Ajayi, I think the thing that interests me the most about his playmaking, which are numbers that you include in the piece, is that, you know, he's not, as you mentioned, he's not James Harden, right? But, you know, he has like a pretty much even assist to turnover ratio. But the part that intrigues me the most is that he is someone who has had great success in passing out of one-on-one situations, right? You mentioned in the piece, 80th percentile in isolations, including passes, which is a jump up from his pure isolation numbers, right? 95th percentile on post-ups, including passes, which again is an even more significant jump up from where he is on just post-ups alone. And what that tells me is, you know, it's not just that, he catches the ball 30 feet away from the basket and makes the, you know, makes the next pass, right? Just, you know, he's at the top of the key, 30 feet out, he moves it to the wing, he moves it to the corner, right? The easy passes to see. What this tells me, you know, and again, it's early going, of course, but, you know, essentially it's that he's someone who the ball doesn't stop with him, right? It's like if he's in a isolation situation, if he's in a post-up situation, you know, he's pretty good at scoring out of those looks, but he's someone who will notice, you know, the cutter coming in and make, you know, the dump off pass to the guy in the dunker spot, right? It's like, he's someone who, you know, when he's in that sort of situation where it's, you know, just him against his guy, right? He's not getting tunnel vision. He's not completely locked in on just, I got to find a way to get around this guy. You know, I got to find a way to get into a post fadeaway, you know, whatever, whatever it might be, right? The idea being that, even when he's in these one-on-one situations, it's almost more of an advantage for him because he'll see the easy opportunity and he won't hesitate to pull the trigger on it. Yeah, and the th- the thing that I like about what I'm seeing about a lot of areas of his game, I kind of want to save this conversation in its um, totality for when we transition to the defense a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing such a small sample size of him that you want to more so project it than have like a definitive thought on it right now, if that makes sense. Right. Like you, you don't, sometimes I think, especially for like top prospects, we have this tendency as like a, as a scouting community to say, this guy can't pass. Like, look at what we did with Cam Whitmore last year. You know, we, we had a shorter sample of size of him than everybody else. He had less time to train compared to his peers uh, in, in terms of one and done prospects because of injury, things like that. And we took the Villanova situation and we just said, okay, because of this, he can't do this. You know what I mean? Instead of looking at Villanova was one of the worst passing teams as a whole in the nation. We didn't contextualize what we saw. You know, so the small assist numbers make sense because Villanova was just not a passing team. But how do how do we make the most out of the sample size that we get? Right? How do we analyze that small sample size? That's what I'm encouraged with, with Michael Ajayi, kind of like in an inverse way to where we get to see this from him now and it's early in the season, but it's like the aptitude and the ability to put coaching and practices into practice and actual gameplay, it's very encouraging. You almost kind of want to see what it looks like when it goes from point A to point B at the end of the season. Just what what does that incremental improvement look like? Is it a small increment or is it like, a big ramp up, you know, it's just encouraging to see a guy in such a small sample size and it jump up in the level of competition to see that he can move the basketball in a variety of different play types. And he's really just getting started. 
I think that's actually a perfect opportunity to transition to talking about his defense. So let's get into that now. And this goes back to something that I have said many, many, many times on this podcast. And we'll say many, many times again, that every time you move up in level, the gaps get a little bit smaller. The rotations get a little bit tighter and, you know, something in college that's a, you know, game of feet in the NBA, it's a game of inches. Right. And, you know, in Juco, if you're moving up from, this is terrible, but I'm going to go with it anyway, right? If it's yards at Juco, it's feet at the college level. You know, it's like sure. everything is a little bit faster. Everything is a little bit, you know, not necessarily more complex in the sense of the defenses are more complex, but more complex in the sense of, okay, you know, you're dealing with guys who can just do a lot more with the ball in their hands than you're dealing with at the Juco level, which is not an insult to Juco at all, right? It's just that, you know, you would assume that anytime you quote unquote go up in level, right? Like if you're going from D3 to D2, the players are going to be moving faster. The shooters are going to be better shooters. The big men are going to be bigger and stronger, right? It's just sort of how all this works. And so, you know, sure, on the one side, maybe the defensive numbers don't look as obviously clearly great as the offensive number, but as you go into in the piece, there's a lot to like in terms of what he might look like as a defender once he's more adjusted to the difference in speed and athleticism as he goes up levels, which, you know, again, is something that when we talk about rookies, pretty much the constant phrase is very few, if any, rookies are ever good defensively in the NBA, right? It's like everybody struggles when they have to make that sort of transition. And so for a giant not to be perfectly accumulated on the defensive uh, perfectly acclimatized on the defensive end yet is not exactly a strong negative statement. It's just, wow, he's figured so much out on the offensive end. That's, you know, that's pretty impressive rather than, okay, it's going to take time on the defensive end. Cause guess what? It does for everybody. Well, everybody except Davion Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, you, you have your exceptions, right? But rules are rules for a reason, yeah. you know, and like you mentioned there, there might be the occasional, Oh, this guy at the Juco level, like he's not going to be here very long. Like there might be, you know, any given night, there might be one or two guys on a Juco team that you feel could like make a strong case to jump up in the next level. Right. Like there, there might be that, but there's not 10 guys, you know, five on five, all 10 of these guys are going to go play D one basketball at some point. Right. Like there's going to be a, a jump in the level of competition. There's going to be a jump in the level of physicality and that's going to lead to, you know, an adjustment period, right? Like you have to get a little bit acclimated to, to that play. And, and you mentioned you, you, you brought it up perfectly, Nick, to where the offense is hitting the ground running at a level so much that it almost feels like he's a letdown on the defensive end. But if you look at the numbers, the fact that, he's defending D one players while being a main engine for Pepperdine. He's an average level defender, like in his first couple of games, right? This is, this is why I mentioned the whole a to B thing. Whenever we're evaluating, evaluating a Jai is like, you have to look at where he is starting. You have to check in on him constantly. And at the end of the year, what have, what, what improvements has he made on the defensive end? The fact that he is already, an average D1 defender at this stage, it's it's encouraging. That's why I want to project instead of just kind of cap and be definitive in really any sort of take that I'm going to give defensively because we're just getting started and he's got the tools to be special. And you mentioned him having the tools to be special. I think that's, you know, what stands out to me in, you know, researching him for doing this podcast with you of he's had some moments that make you say, there's a lot more here. And, yeah. you know, you you have in the piece a clip from him guarding Cody Williams, who, you know, top 10 player. I mean, I believe I have him sixth on my board as of my most recent update. Same. Right. Same. Okay, there we go. Perfect. And, you know, he's someone who, you know, it's not just that he's someone who's considered a top 10 pick, right? You know, six, eight guy, really varied skill set, you know, incredible feel for the game. And Ajayi just, you know, shut him down, right? And it's the kind of thing where, Again, when you get into the isolation defense, you know, only allowing opponents to score on 25% of isolations is ridiculous. But then you get into the quote from him, you know, right after that. And it's very clear that guarding his guy, taking his guy out of the game is something that he takes very seriously, something that, you know, is very important to him. And 
when you talk about, you know, guys who are incredible offensive weapons, you know, sometimes they're also great on the defensive end. Sometimes it's like, can I score enough to make up for what I'm taking off the table defensively? And for Ajayi, it's like, you know, yeah, he's, you know, showing up slightly above average so far defensively at the D1 level. But for me, you know, what I'm, what I'm most fascinated by is it's not just, okay, he's like decent on every play, right? He's, you know, doesn't make too many mistakes, but isn't the most athletic guy gets blown by sometimes, right? It's the kind of thing where, oh, you know, he's shown that he can be a high level defensive player in isolations. And especially when those isolations include guys who, you know, we are pretty confident are going to be top 10 picks. It's the kind of thing where, okay, it's a matter of him getting more consistent with this, having a better understanding of, you know, the level of athleticism and speed that comes with going up a level. The fact that, you know, he wasn't lost on Cody Williams, I think is a really strong sign that, okay, this is just a matter of him locking in a few more things, you know, him getting more used to the pace of the game rather than, Oh, he's just athletically outmatched. Right. That's, that's not what I see when I see someone who is really great in isolation overall, and particularly did a great job in isolation against Cody Williams. And, and we got to remember too that sometimes defensive numbers can be a little bit skewed. They're they're mm-hmm. more often than not they're like indicative to the team than they are the individual. So the fact that we're getting good flashes of him on film, the fact the fact that we're getting good defensive metrics on him, to me, it only kind of solidifies the fact that he is he's got the talent to be really good on that end. You know, there there are moments where on individual defense he just you know girds up his loins and he is ready to to just take his guy out of the play. But then there's also some of the other possessions to where he is just reading the ball handler from a help stance perfectly. And he's intercepting the ball or he is and he's, or he's aware that the ball handler has no idea where he's at on the floor and he forces a turnover, you know, like there, there's a high level of feel that also shows up to that, that makes the tools worth having, you know what I mean? Like sometimes we see players who, who are tall, who are long, who are fast, but they just have no idea really how to put it together on the floor. For Ajayi, it's we see that he can put it together on the floor. It's just now we have to wrap up the consistency, but we also have to remember that he's got to get acclimated to his surroundings, right? Like he's not everyone's going to hit the ground running, certainly not in the NBA level, but we also have to look at the fact that this guy is making the jump up from one level to another. And again, he's already at average above average in some areas of defense and again that's it's encouraging to me man yeah and you know a lot of it ties into the some of the quotes you got from him at the end of the piece which you know i thought really he summed up the story pretty well and i'm just going to quote you quoting him directly here i'm really a team guy if the coach says anything i'll listen to him and i'll do it to the best of my abilities i do my job and my role right that really Mm -hmm. sums it all up for me of okay you know going back to what we talked about before, right. Of, you know, will he be someone who's willing to adjust to a smaller role? Will he be someone who's, you know, willing to not have the ball in his hands as much like Jimmer Fredette clearly was not right. He he says it explicitly, right. I I do my job and I do my role, you know, where, wherever I fit in, right. I will maximize what I can do with the opportunity that I'm given. And given everything that we have seen so far from him throughout his entire basketball journey, he has clearly made good on those words. I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding, you know, we could, we could do the best that we can, that we can to kind of sell people on him. But sometimes, you know, everyone knows what Coca-Cola is, Nick. I don't need to tell you (laughs) that it's delicious and that it exists. You know, you're just going to go and grab a Coke when you're thirsty. If you're a Coke guy, maybe Pepsi, I don't know. But point being like that, a major brand, you don't have to sell because like at the end of the day, it's, it's a known commodity, right? Ajayi isn't necessarily like the Coca-Cola of college basketball. Right. But if you're thirsty, right, you're going to know that he exists on the floor. Right. Like, I don't need to sell you that Michael Ajayi is a good basketball player. Right. It's it's the proof is in the pudding. And again, we have to consider the sample size. We have to consider that it took him growing to six foot five his senior year to get burned. And like that is his highest level. That was his highest level of basketball experience was one year at 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 the varsity level. And then he's asked to go into the Juco ranks and take on the other best high school players. Maybe they've been varsity their whole life. 
Maybe there's academic issues. Who's to say? But Michael has proven himself against them. And then it's like, okay, now you're going up against Cody Williams. He's a he's a bloodline player, right? Like his brother is one of the best young players in all of basketball. He's on a faster learning curve than Jalen was. You know what I mean? Like he 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 might project to be even better. It's a crazy thought right now because of how how much we love Jalen, how great he is. Cody is getting all, all the buzz right now as a freshman. That didn't happen with Jalen, right? So you're def- you're you're asked to defend this guy now. You're asked to score against these guys now, and he's doing it. Oh, and he's doing all the dirty work for his team too, getting loose balls, like attacking the glass. He's not just a, a pretty basketball player. He's a grimy dude. He's a dog. He is not afraid to do anything on the court. And really, if you look that he's got three years of decent level of experience at basketball and he is dominating the nation in scoring and in rebounding and he's getting better at the other areas of his game, like who would not want that type of guy within their organization? I don't care if he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, right? Like if I have 15 spots, and I got three two-way contracts. You mean to tell me that you wouldn't want Michael Ajayi within your within your organization at some degree? Like it, it's no way. I mean, you can say the sample size is small, and it is right. Like I don't think he's going to be shooting fifty-six percent from three-point range by the time we get to the end of the season. The flip side of that is he has played twelve games at the Division One level, and it's you know to the point where you know. Okay, he's slightly lowered his points per game over the last few games because he's put up 13, 13, and 15 in games 10, 11, and 12 of his Division One career, right? It's like, okay, yeah, you know, the sample size is small for him as a three-point shooter. That'll probably go down, right? That's to be expected. You know, it's like you don't expect anybody to shoot 57, 56% from three-point range. But the flip side yeah, of that if, is... If you're shooting 60%, Nick, you're not shooting enough. Like, that's that's the adage, right? Like, that's the old... Saying. Yes. Well, that's, that's also a fair point. But, yeah. you know, more along the lines of just like, okay, maybe shooting 56% from three is, you know, a bit of a hot streak, right? 15 for 27 from three-point range, you get a bit hot. Yeah, that happens. Okay, sure. 10 rebounds a game? That's not a hot streak. That's just going after it game after game night after night possession after possession and you know that sort of that completely tracks with the story of him right he's the marathon man he's the guy who never runs out of energy so of course he's going to be a ridiculous force on the glass but you know it's the kind of thing where if you're going to say the sample size is small at the college level as a detriment you know that's fair in some aspects but when you take into you know when you take into mind the totality of the package that we've seen from Michael Ajayi it's very difficult for me anyway to dismiss all of it, especially given the flashes that he's shown in his best moments. Yeah, I mean, the foundation is there. You know, the the appeal of him is there already in the very short sample size that we've got, Nick. And I and I love the way that you put that like as a positive. It's like, sure, 12 games isn't everything, but it's definitely something, you know? And the things that he's good at. There has been no part of the process of him as a player that leads me to believe that there's not any truth into what we're watching right now. Right. What I what I am focusing on is like he's just getting started, you know, like how do we know that he's not going to get better in a lot of the areas that he's quote unquote average or slightly above average at? Like what makes what 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 reason do I have to believe based on what I know about what he has done at every step of his you know, very young playing career that he isn't going to improve in areas. Like that's why guys like Ajayi or guys that we got to monitor throughout the year as, as we continue the scouting cycle. All right. Anything else you want to cover on this one before we wrap it up? Yeah. I just want to um, mention people might be asking like marathon. Why, why are you saying that and stuff like that? So the, the nickname behind Mike is actually pretty cool. It's uh, his nickname in high school and in Juco used to be Mr. Everything. And you can imagine, you know, like that, that, yeah. that doesn't take a, a, a long dialogue to figure out why we would call him that. Right. But marathon Mike, that's kind of multifaceted, right? Uh, I I'm, I don't listen to Nipsey Hussle. I wasn't familiar with him. Like I I've listened to rap, but because I am 33, like if I don't know why I said that, like there are probably 33 year olds that listen to current music, but I like just my musical interests like died several years ago. Right. So I listen to, you know, Lil Wayne and, and, and outcast and artists like that. Right. But 
um nipsey hustle apparently uh has like a the marathon continuous kind of mantra that he had in his music uh the fact that when he went to pepperdine there was the the thing that they did it was called the mile right and you know people are familiar with this you got to run four laps around the track that equals mile michael jai was like just that just a hair over five minute mile and people started calling him marathon mike and then there's just like the uh i guess like the theatrical aspect of it or the story behind him is just that everything about what this young man has been through has been a marathon right like this he's not a basketball prodigy to where he's got family history within the game or a family connection within the game or you know his head coach knew somebody or anything like that you know he's just he's a very much so an out the mud player in a very literal sense again first interview he ever did was a couple a couple weeks ago with with some guy named Stephen Gillespie right like that's <laughs> that's very much part of the marathon aspect of him is that like the other storylines and interviews are only going to get bigger from him you know low bar but he's going to continue to get better and improve and get his name out there and the story's not finished on him the, you know the marathon continues is what I was what I think that he would say if he was given the interview right now well, I can't think of a much better note to end on than that. So I think we will wrap it up here. He is Stephen Glaspie. You can find him on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. And you can, of course, find his written work on NoCeilingsNBA.com. You can find me on Twitter at NBA Johnson. And you can find my written work on NoCeilingsNBA.com. If you've been enjoying the show, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback regarding the deep dive specific portion of the podcast feel free to reach out to me either via twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com and as always thanks so much for listening